Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. It's been a while since we've heard from Guy de Maupassant, and the time has come. Very few classic writers could capture human emotion as well as Maupassant, and this story stands as a great example of his work. So without further ado, The Farmer's Wife by Guy de Maupassant. Said the Baron René de Trails de me. Will you come and open the hunting season with me at my farm at Marinville? I shall be delighted if you will, my dear boy. In the first place, I am all alone. It's rather a difficult ground to get at, and the place I live in is so primitive that I can invite only my most intimate friends. I accepted his invitation, and on Saturday we set off on the train going to Normandy. We alighted at a station called Almivar, and Baron René, pointing to a carryall drawn by a timid horse, and driven by a big countryman with white hair, said, Here is our equipage, my dear boy. The driver extended his hand to his landlord, and the baron pressed it warmly, asking, Well, Maitre Le Brumont, how are you? Always the same, Monsieur Le Baron. We jumped into this swinging hen-coop, perched on two enormous wheels, and the young horse, after a violent swerve, started into a gallop, pitching us into the air like balls. Every fall backward on the wooden bench gave me the most dreadful pain. The peasant kept repeating in his calm, monotonous voice, There, there, all right, all right, Moutard, all right. But Moutard scarcely heard, and kept capering along like a goat. Our two dogs behind us, in the empty part of the hen-coop, were standing up and sniffing the air of the plains, where they scented game. The baron gazed with a sad eye into the distance at the vast Norman landscape, undulating and melancholy, like an immense English park, where the farmyards, surrounded by two or four rows of trees and full of dwarfed apple trees which hid the houses, gave a vista as far as the eye could see of forest trees, copses, and shrubbery such as landscape gardeners look for in laying out the boundaries of princely estates. And René Dutrell's suddenly exclaimed, I love this soil. I have my very roots in it. He was a pure Norman, tall and strong, with a slight paunch, and of the old race of adventurers who went to found kingdoms on the shores of every ocean. He was about fifty years of age, ten years less perhaps than the farmer who was driving us. The latter was a lean peasant, all skin and bone, one of those men who live a hundred years. After two hours traveling over stony roads, across that green and monotonous plain, the vehicle entered one of those orchard farmyards and drew up before an old structure falling into decay, where an old maidservant stood waiting beside a young fellow who took charge of the horse. We entered the farmhouse. The smoky kitchen was high and spacious. The copper utensils and the crockery shone in the reflection of the hearth. A cat lay asleep on a chair, a dog under the table. One perceives an odor of milk, apples, smoke, that indescribable smell peculiar to old farmhouses, the odor of the earth, of the walls, of furniture, the odor of spilled stale soup, of former wash days, and of former inhabitants, the smell of animals, and of human beings combined, of things and of persons, the odor of time, and of things that have passed away. I went out to have a look at the farmyard. It was very large, 
full of apple trees, dwarfed and crooked, and laden with fruit which fell on the grass around them. In this farmyard, the Norman smell of apples was as strong as that of the bloom of orange trees on the shores of the south of France. Four rows of beech trees surrounded this enclosure. They were so tall that they seemed to touch the clouds at this hour of nightfall, and their summits, through which the night winds passed, swayed and sang a mournful, indeterminable song. I re-entered the house. The baron was warming his feet at the fire and was listening to the farmers talk about country matters. He talked about marriages, births and deaths, then about the fall in the price of grain and the latest news about cattle. The Villard, as he called a cow that had been bought at the fair at Vules, had calved in the middle of June. The cider had not been first class last year. Apricots were almost disappearing from the country. Then we had dinner. It was a good rustic meal, simple and abundant, long and tranquil. And while we were dining, I noticed the special kind of friendly familiarity which had struck me from the start between the baron and the peasant. Outside, the beech trees continued sighing in the night wind, and our two dogs, shut up in a shed, were whining and howling in an uncanny fashion. The fire was dying out in the big fireplace. The maid servant had gone to bed. Maitre Le Brumont said in his turn, If you don't mind, Monsieur Le Baron, I'm going to bed. I'm not used to staying up late. The Baron extended his hand toward him and said, Go, my friend, in so cordial a tone that I said, as soon as the man had disappeared, He is devoted to you, this farmer. Ah, better than that, my dear fellow. It is a drama, an old drama, simple and very sad, that attaches him to me. And here is the story. You know that my father was colonel in the cavalry regiment. His orderly was this young fellow, now an old man, the son of a farmer. When my father retired from the army, he took this former soldier, then about forty, as his servant. I was at that time about thirty. We were living in our old chateau of Valrennes, near Quebec in Caux. At this period, my mother's chambermaid was one of the prettiest girls you could see. Fair-haired, slender, and sprightly in manner, a genuine sobret of the old type that no longer exists. Today these creatures spring up into hussies before their time. Paris, with the aid of the railways, attracts them, calls them, takes hold of them, and as soon as they're budding into womanhood, every man passing by, as recruiting sergeants did formerly, looking for recruits with conscripts, entices, and then ruins them these foolish lassies. Well, this girl was charming, and I often gave her a kiss in dark corners. Nothing more, I swear to you. She was virtuous, besides, and I had some respect for my mother's house, which is more than can be said of the black guards of the present day. Now it happened that my manservant, the ex-soldier, the old farmer you just saw, fell madly in love with this girl, perfectly daft. The first thing we noticed was that he forgot everything. He paid no attention to anything. My father said incessantly, See here, Jean, what's the matter with you? Are you ill? And he replied, No, no, Monsieur le Baron, there's nothing the matter with me. He grew thin. He broke glasses and let plates fall when waiting on the table. We thought he must have been attacked by some nervous affection 
and sent for the doctor, who thought he could detect symptoms of spinal disease. Then my father, full of anxiety about his faithful manservant, decided to place him in a private hospital. When the poor fellow heard of my father's intentions, he made a clean breast of it. Monsieur Le Baron, he said. Well, my boy, you see, the thing I want is not physic. Ha! What is it, then? It's marriage. My father turned round and stared at him in astonishment. What's that you say? Eh? It's marriage. Marriage. So then, you jackass, you're to love. That's how it is, Monsieur Le Baron, he said. And my father began to laugh so immoderately that my mother called out through the wall of the next room. What in the world's the matter with you, Gontran? He replied, Come here, Catherine. And when she came in, he told her, with tears in his eyes from sheer laughter, that this idiot of a servant man was lovesick. But my mother, instead of laughing, was deeply affected. Who is it that you've fallen in love with, my poor fellow? she asked. He answered without hesitation. With Louise, Madame Le Baron. And my mother said with the utmost gravity, We must try to arrange this matter the best way we can. So Louise was sent for and questioned by my mother, and she said in reply that she knew all about Jean's liking for her, that in fact Jean had spoken to her about it several times, but she didn't want him. She refused to say why and two months elapsed, during which my father and mother never ceased to urge this girl to marry Jean. As she declared she was not in love with any other man, she couldn't give any serious reason for her refusal. My father at last overcame her resistance by means of a big present of money, and started the pair of them on a farm, this very farm. I didn't see them for three years, and then I learned that Louise had died of consumption. But my father and mother died too, in their turn, and it was two years more before I found myself face to face with Jean. At last, one autumn day about the end of October, the idea came into my head to go hunting on this part of my estate, which my father had told me was full of game. So one evening, one wet evening, I arrived at this house. I was shocked to find my father's old servant with perfectly white hair, though he was not more than Forty-five, forty-six years of age. I made him dine with me at the very table where we are now sitting. It was raining hard. We could hear the rain battering at the roof, the walls, and the windows, flowing in a perfect deluge into the farmyard. And my dog was howling in the shed where the other dogs are howling tonight. All of a sudden, when the servant maid had gone to bed, the man said in a timid voice, Monsieur le Baron, and I answered, What is it, my dear Jean? I have something to tell you, he said. Well, tell it. You remember Louise, my wife? Certainly I remember her, I said. Well, she left me a message for you. Ah, uh, and what was it? Well, um, it was, it was what you might call a confession, he said. Ah, and what was it about? It was, ah, uh, it was, I'd rather all the same tell you nothing about it. He was stammering at that point. But I must, I must. Well, it's this, 
It wasn't consumption she died of at all. It was grief. As soon as she came to live here after we were married, she grew thin. She changed so that you wouldn't know her. She was just as I was before I married her. But it was just the opposite. Just the opposite. I sent for the doctor. He said it was her liver that it was affected. He said it was what he called a hepatic complaint. I don't know these big words, he told me. Monsieur Le Baron, then I bought medicine for her, heaps on heaps of bottles that cost about three hundred francs. But she would take none of them. She wouldn't have them, she said. It's no use, my poor Jean. It wouldn't do me any good. I saw well that she had some hidden trouble. And then I found her one time crying. I didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. I bought her caps and dresses and hair oil and earrings, but nothing did her any good. And I saw that she was going to die. And so one night at the end of November, as he told me, one snowy night, after she'd been in bed the whole day, she told me to send for the cure. So I went for him, and as soon as he came, Jean, she said, I'm going to make a confession to you. I owe it to you, Jean. I've never been false to you, never. Never before, never before or after you married me, she said. Well, listen, Jean, if I am dying, it is because I was not able to console myself for leaving the chateau, because I was too fond of the young Baron Monsieur René, too fond of him, mind you, Jean. There was no harm in it. This is the thing that's killing me. When I could see him no more, I felt that I should die. If I could only have seen him, I might have lived. Only seen him, nothing more. I wish you'd tell him some day, by and by, when I am no longer here. You will tell him. Swear you will, Jean. Swear it. In the presence of Monsieur Le Cure. It will console me to know that he will know it one day. That this was the cause of my death. Swear it. Well, I gave her my promise, Monsieur Le Baron, and on the faith of an honest man I've kept my word. And then he ceased speaking, his eyes filled with tears. Good God, my dear boy, you can't form any idea of the emotion that filled me when I heard this poor devil, whose wife I had killed without suspecting it, telling me this story on that wet night in this very kitchen. I exclaimed, my poor Jean. He murmured, well, that is all, Monsieur Le Baron. I could not help it one way or the other. And now it's all over. I caught his hand across the table, and I began to weep. He asked, Will you come with me and see her grave? I nodded assent, for I couldn't speak at that time. He rose, lighted a lantern, and we walked through the blinding rain by the light of the lantern. He opened a gate. I saw some crosses of black wood. Suddenly he stopped before a marble slab and said, There it is. And he flashed the lantern close to it so that I could read the inscription. It read, To Louise Hortense Marinette, 
wife of Jean-Francois Lebrun, farmer. She was a faithful wife. God rest her soul. We fell on our knees in the damp grass, he and I, with the lantern between us, and I saw the rain beating on the white marble slab, and I thought of the heart of her sleeping there in her grave. Ah, poor, poor heart. Since then, I come here every year, and I don't know why, but I feel as if I were guilty of some crime in the presence of this man who always looks as if he forgave me. Thanks for joining us today. Is that you subscribe to our show if you haven't yet. It's free. Then tell a friend and then send us a kind review. Here are some recent ones for inspiration. This one just came in today. A treasure. Five stars. I'm an artist and 1001 short stories is one of my favorite things to listen to while I paint. The wonderful selection of classic literature makes the time fly by. It's my auditory happy place. I get excited every time I hear the opening music. And that nice review was from Sarah Banass, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, five stars. Awesome stories. I love this podcast and listen to it all the time. John has introduced me to some excellent authors I've never heard of. The stories are beautifully written, and John is an amazing reader. His voice is calming and full. Thank you for working so hard on this. Please keep them coming, Brian. And that's BV2447, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one, thank you. Thank you, John, for reading so wonderfully. As a South African, I've been introduced to some unfamiliar authors, such as Jack London, through your podcast. It's always wonderful to be introduced to new authors. That from R-U-O-R-R, Apple Podcast, South Africa. And this one, five stars, great podcast. This is a well-done show telling great stories. That one from JBOKC, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you all so very, very, very much for taking the time to send these reviews. We appreciate it very much. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week.